0: Spanning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Battaglia.
1: Here we are, popping the top on a fresh episode, episode 82 of the Data Nerdy Podcast, where speaking of which, we can't wait to crack open our first bottle of ice-cold
2: Pepsi Perfect. When I saw that they were doing the whole actual retro bottle from the movie, and I'm like, yes, I'm going to buy two. It's going to be tough, because A, we, you know that these things are probably going to sell out everywhere. Of course, what we're talking about is if you've seen Back to the Future 2, they're, bringing, they're actually making Pepsi Perfect. Which, in case you haven't noticed, the bottle itself is pretty awesome. And it's going to be hard to find them on two occasions because there's going to be so many fans out there buying them by the bunches. And also, it's going to be hard for me because if I buy two, I know I'm going to drink one. It's going to be so hard to leave that other one on my shelf for years and just not open it.
1: Well, uh, let's point out that Pepsi's already perfect. Oh, yeah. But, uh... So the fact that they're doing this, I just think it's really cool. And the, and the commercial that they have for it is
2: awesome. But of course, back to the future fans <laughs> this... here. I'm James with them alongside. The Merkle One-Arm Nick Bataglia, even though this podcast is probably going to be sponsored by Coke.
1: <laughs> hey, I mean, if your money's green, man. You,
2: know? you want to well, put my name on a can? That's fine. It's kind of like, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, when Conan O'Brien had, uh, for Jurassic World, he had on. Uh, I can't think of her her name uh, Bryce Dallas Howard on and she's like I can cry to anything and so they started talking about Lowe's and and Conan's like, you know, I love Lowe's. You can go anywhere, you can find anything. And it turns out Andy Richter just goes, I think our producer is crying because Home Depot's our sponsor. You know what's
1: funny is that actually happened again on his show where they were talking about Ford and Dodge was their sponsor or something. Oh, no. So this has happened more than once on the Conan O'Brien show. We are happy to have Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach sponsoring us. So yes. let's not forget that. We do appreciate his support and your support as well for listening. Of course, we had a great show last week and a great time with Scotty Young.
2: Exactly. We were talking about, of course, I Hate Fairyland, which is his new creator-owned comic from Image Comics. It was great to find out that he's going to be getting Alfred E. Newman tattooed on his body.
1: And that comma comes out next week. Too. Exactly. I mean, you've still got time to tell your local shop that you want to add that to your poll. But this week, Nick, it's a little bit more super than usual.
2: Exactly. Where we talk to David Harewood, who plays, of course, Hank Henshaw on CBS's Supergirl this week. And I'm very excited about it because, again, James, as we talked about before, this is one of the biggest shows It's hitting this fall lineup. You know,
1: last year, all the chatter was about The Flash. I think we can agree on that. Everybody's waiting to see what it was going to be, whether it was the people that thought it was going to be great or the people that were on the fence. Everybody was talking about it. I feel like Supergirl is that show. Everybody's waiting to see what it's going to be like. Either you're super excited about it or you think it's going to be awful or you're on the fence. No matter what, you're talking about it and you're going to watch it. So I can't wait to see... What David Harewood can tell us about what's going to be coming up, not just on the pilot, but in the season, because I'm I'm excited for this show, man.
2: Well, especially because, remember, his character name is Hank Henshaw, and who is Hank Henshaw, James?
1: That's Cyborg Superman. So now you know the origin is going to be a little bit different. Well, we'll ask him about that because, you know, they're doing things a little different like they always do in the uh, Guggenheim-Christberg universe of DC TV. They like to give their own little spin, different takes. They've been successful in the past, so we'll try and get something out of David Harrowood, find out exactly what they're going to do with this different origin.
2: Exactly. Remember, Supergirl is going to be premiering on October 26th at 8.30 p.m., that's gonna be the premiere date for the pilot. Now, its second episode, of course, is gonna be on November second. Yeah, it's gonna be at its regular time at eight p.m. So the pilot's gonna be at a special time of eight thirty on October twenty sixth, and the second episode is gonna be November second at eight p.m., which is gonna be its actual air date from the second episode on. Which is well, be you know awesome. what they're doing,
1: right? Is that on Monday it's gonna follow Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah. So that's—I know you're not a fan, but that's
2: brilliant. I'm not a fan of Big Bang Theory, but it is—it is a brilliant move. It's a brilliant I, move because you got something like the Big Bang Theory, which is a huge show and what it deals with, and then you have, you know, Supergirl following it after, and it's just like, yeah, it's
1: this—it's almost the same demo. It's this—it's it's a it's, lot of the same people watching that content, mm-hmm. so it's—it's it's brilliant. Not that people wouldn't have watched the premiere episode of Supergirl anyway, but I think now it's going to be even more so.
2: Well, it's important that with television, it's important to, of course, if you're going to connect something like Supergirl or whatever to something else, you want to connect it to something that pertains to its source material, or is close to it, or, yep. something, or at least one of your biggest shows. And for CBS, that's a Big Bang Theory. If it comes out on Tuesday, that CBS did not dominate the ratings, which I doubt they won't. I think they're going to dominate Monday's ratings on the twenty-six. It's Yeah, I expect CBS to come out on top on that Tuesday, on the 27th, with with ratings.
1: It's called the lead-in, folks, and that's what we in the entertainment business like to do. As a matter of fact, we're going to lead right in to reviewing two new comics. It's what we're reading next
2: on Down and Nerdy. This is
0: Cartoonist, Scotty Young, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment is brought to you every week by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great comics and toys and shirts and art he has for yourself and the nerds that you love. So, James, I went first last week, I believe, so I'm going to have you go first this week. And you kind of did a comic. Well, you didn't kind of. You actually did a comic and read a comic about a show we reviewed the other week, actually.
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I decided to go with the Mighty Titan Comics and review Heroes Vengeance. Number one, which yes, it says right on the front, it says a prelude to the hit series Heroes Reborn. Of course, that's Thursday eight o'clock on NBC. And it's funny because, well, first of all, it's written by 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 Samus Kevin Ferry and Zach Crayley, artist as Rubin, which I love that already, and Jim and letters by Jim Campbell. Now, this actually follows the character of El Vengador, mm-hmm. which of course you know is the is the masked hero that eventually. Ends up dying. Of course you've seen the premiere already. I'm not spoiling anything there. <laughs> and you uh and he gets and the mantle gets taken up by his brother. So it follows like the prelude to that. Right. And how he became uh the Vengador. And there's actually a little bit uh where again, I don't want to spoil too much because we want you to read the comic yourself, where he saves somebody and uh something happens to him towards the end of the comic. But what it really dives into <laughs> more is the how did he become the Vengador in the first place? And, of course, it deals with his uh, little brother, Oscar, who ends up taking up the, the mantle later on in the show, and how they would love going to wrestling together and how being a hero is just seeing these larger-than-life people. And even when you told him that wrestling was fake, that he didn't believe it because he still watched him because these were his gods, basically. Right.
2: Well, I mean, if you've watched, and this is, actually, this is real, like, if you've watched, like, Luchador Wrestling, like, and you're in Mexico... It is like you know the people there, the wrestlers there, the luchadors are gods down there. I mean Japan too. I
1: mean it's the same oh, way yeah. in Japan. All a new, uh, all Japan or a new Japan. I can't remember what oh, it yeah, is. Yeah, but...
2: like like Ultimo Dragon, stuff like that. Yeah, just... Rey
1: Mysterio. Oh yeah, uh, Sin Cara, when he was over there in in Mexico. Uh, there's just so many that are large and alive figures, and of course it's the it's the masked luchadors uh that they that they portray in here and you kind of see him like he sticks up for his little brother at one point because some a-hole bumps into him and you know knocks his popcorn over so he he kind of gets that whole i want to protect people mentality from you know being the big brother who kind of says shut up little brother you're stupid (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about but sticking up for him when it matters kind of thing you know
2: you've knocked over my popcorn This city deserves justice. You know, you knock
1: over somebody's (laughs) popcorn, you're going to get a punch in the nose. I'm sorry. It's a big deal. And people need to realize that.
2: Unless it's popcorn flavored jelly beans and by all means, knock them over.
1: Yeah, definitely not a fan of the popcorn flavored jelly beans.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not the most tasteful thing ever. So, I mean, how is the writing? How is the art? How, Um, How was it?
1: The writing is okay. It's okay. not bad. It's definitely not the quality of the show. And I'm not saying it, it was going to be and it should have been. Uh, I like the way they framed the story, though. Yeah. So while the dialogue wasn't great, I thought the way that they framed the story was good. And the art by Rubin is very detailed, very good. If you read the Doctor Who comics mm-hmm. from, from Titan, it's it's definitely on that level. Maybe even a few steps up. I think, from the Doctor Who comics, and there's a lot of, of pages on here that don't have any any text on them or any dialogue, and it just drives the story forward very well. So Rabin's art is very, very good, and I like the way they're going with this. It's not full of action. The one problem I did have with it was uh, after the Vengador saves this guy in the alley from this gang, and they're in East L.A. area that's plagued with gangs, That's they kind of set that up at the beginning. The guy starts to, like, follow him and mm-hmm. say, hey, this is an over kind of thing. Cause they're going to come back with another crew and try and kill me. And <laughs> Vengador is like, stop following me, dude. Yeah. What's wrong with you? So that got a little weird. I mean, I understand guy's still scared. Maybe he wants to get extra protection. Vengador basically says to him, "It's it's like that annoying person that always texts you and calls you and you want them to stop and eventually pushes you over the edge. Like, look, dude, I can't. I do I can't deal with you right yeah. now. I've yeah. got bigger fish to fry here. They're gonna come after you. I know they're gonna come after me. Go away. Leave yep. town and get out. So I mean, that was a little frustrating, but they definitely. I mean, the kids like to call them the feels. Definitely get you in the feels at some point. <laughs> the kids,
0: the kids, like to call them.
2: the feels.
1: Hey, I'm just. I'm. I'm just an older guy trying to keep up with the lingo, man. Just, <laughs> just trying to, just trying.
2: Well, it's that time, nerds, to pull out our long boxes. And, whoa, that sounded really horrible. Let me rephrase that, actually.
1: Yeah, you pull out your long box every day.
2: <laughs> all right, ready? Three, two, one. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes, and we discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment is brought to you every week by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great comics and toys and shirts and art he has for yourself and the nerds that you love so James I went first last week I believe so I'm gonna have you go first this week and you kind of did a comic well you didn't kind of you actually did a comic and read a comic about a show we reviewed the other week actually yeah as a matter of fact I decided to go
1: with the Mighty Titan comics and review Heroes Vengeance Number one, which yes, it says right on the front, it says a prelude to the hit series Heroes Reborn. Of course, that's Thursday eight o'clock on NBC. And it's funny because, well, first of all, it's written by 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 Samus Kevin Ferry and Zach Crayley, artist as Rubin, which I love that already, and Jim and letters by Jim Campbell. Now, this actually follows the character of El Vingador, mm-hmm. which of course you know is the is the masked hero that eventually ends up dying. Of course you've seen the premiere already. I'm not spoiling anything there. <laughs> and you uh and he gets and the mantle gets taken up by his brother. So it follows like the prelude to that. Right. And how he became uh the Vengador. And there's actually a little bit uh where again I don't want to spoil too much cuz we want you to read the comic yourself where he saves somebody and uh something happens to him towards the end of the comic. But what it really dives into <clears throat> more is the How did he become the Vengador in the first place? And, of course, it deals with his uh, little brother, Oscar, who ends up taking up the the mantle later on in the show, and how they would love going to wrestling together and how being a hero is just seeing these larger-than-life people. And even when you told him that wrestling was fake, that he didn't believe it because he still watched him because these were his gods, basically. Right.
2: Well, I mean, if you've watched, and this is is real, if you've watched, like, Luchador Wrestling, like, and you're in Mexico... It is like you know the people there, the wrestlers there, the luchadors are gods down
1: there. I mean Japan too. I mean it's the same way oh, yeah. in Japan, all a new, uh, all Japan or a new Japan. I can't remember what oh, it yeah, is. Yeah, but...
2: like like Ultimo Dragon, stuff like that. Yeah, just...
1: Rey Mysterio. Oh yeah, uh, Sin Cara, when he was over there in in Mexico. Uh, there's just so many that are large and alive figures, and of course it's the it's the masked luchadors uh that they that they portray in here and you kind of see him like he sticks up for his little brother at one point because some a-hole bumps into him and you know knocks his popcorn over so he he kind of gets that whole i want to protect people mentality from you know being the big brother who kind of says shut up little brother you're stupid (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about but sticking up for him when it matters kind of thing you know
2: you've knocked over my popcorn this city deserves justice. You know,
1: you knock over somebody's <laughs> popcorn, you're going to get a punch in the nose. I'm sorry. It's a big deal,
2: and unless people need to realize that. Unless it's popcorn-flavored jelly beans, and by all means, knock them over.
1: Yeah, definitely not a fan of the popcorn-flavored oh, jelly yeah, beans. It's,
2: yeah, they're, they're not the most tasteful thing ever. So, I mean, how is the writing? It's like, how is the art? How was how, um, how it?
1: The writing is okay it's not bad it's definitely not the quality of the show and i'm not saying it it was gonna be and it should have been i like the way they framed the story though so while the dialogue wasn't great i thought the way they framed the story was good and the art by rubin is very detailed very good if you read the doctor who comics Mm -hmm. from from titan it's it's definitely on that level maybe even a few steps up I think, from the Doctor Who comics. And there's a lot of, of pages on here that don't have any any text on them or any dialogue. And it just drives the story forward very well. So Rubin's art is very, very good. And I like the way they're going with this. It's not full of action. One problem I did have with it was uh, after the Vengador saves this guy in the alley from this gang, and they're in East L.A. area that's plagued with gangs, That's they kind of set that up at the beginning. The guy starts to like follow him and mm-hmm. say, hey... This is an over kind of thing because they're going to come back with another crew and try and kill me. And <laughs> Vengador is like, stop following me, dude. Right. What's wrong with you? So that got a little weird. I mean, I understand Guy's still scared. Maybe he wants to get extra protection. Vengador basically says to him, it's, it's like that annoying person that always texts you and calls you and you want them to stop. And eventually pushes you over the edge like, look, dude. I can't, I, do, I can't deal with you right yeah. now. I've yeah. got bigger fish to fry here. They're going to come after you. I know they're going to come after me. Go away. Leave yep. town and get out. So, I mean, that was a little frustrating, but they definitely, I mean, the kids like to call them the feels. Definitely get you in the feels at some point. <laughs> the kids
2: the kids like call them the feels.
1: Hey, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just an older guy trying to keep up with the lingo, man. <laughs> just, just trying, just trying to keep with the times. Get some young folks listen to the show. I want, I want to be on their level a little bit. So, um, so as far as the rating goes, I'm definitely interested in the next issue. Am I, you know, knocking down the door to grab issue number two? No, but I'm definitely interested in keep reading the series. So I'm going to say that this is a pickup.
2: Here's me. here's a question though, <clears throat> as somebody who's who you know read a lot of prequel series, mostly have been for video games, but still the prequel series. Do you fear at all, the fact that when the show carries on further, because we're only on, I believe, episode 3 of the show, yeah. uh, the show carries forward that the prequel comic, you're just going to lose interest, or you're just going to get lost because you know how certain things unravel in the show.
1: Well, well, here's the danger, and that's a good point. Here's the danger, is that they are singling out a character here, and, uh. and it's called Heroes, Ven- Heroes Vengeance, number one, so they're going to focus on the Vengador character. If this character ends up not being that popular, and people who watch the show don't care that much about this character, then maybe it's a miss because if you don't care about the character, why are you going to read the comic? You know, it would be mm-hmm. different if it was like, um, if they were focusing on the, I can't remember her name, but the character that has the sword that goes, yeah, into Miko, Miko that goes into the video games and stuff like that. That might've been more interesting, but again, different characters are for different people. So maybe, you know, while we might favor that character, somebody else might favor the Vangador character. I just think it's a risk. Anytime you single out one character but again, then, then you look at the other side of the corner, it's like, well, you don't want to get too jumbled with all the characters, so focus on one or focus on two, and do a spinoff on it. But I understand what you're saying, but they definitely did a good job of making you care at least a little bit about this character and want to read issue two, so that's why I, th- I think it's a pickup for me. Not a pull, because it wasn't great, and some of the writing wasn't great, it was okay, but the art and the way the story was driven, that's why I would say it's a pickup for me.
2: All right, well, so me, it's been a while, I believe, since I've done a Marvel comic on the show. Really, anything of the major two publishers. I'm starting so. to worry about you, man. I know, dude. So, you know, James, people, when they love each other, they fall into relationships, correct? Like, you know, you and your wife, and your wife met, you know, you fell in love, you had a relationship, had a family kind of thing. That's the thing people do. Well, in comics, lately, there's been no bigger relationship, I think, at least in the past year, it's been built on then Star Lord and Kitty Prides. And so this week, I did the finale of Marvel's three part series, Star Lord and Kitty Pride. That's the title of the, na- of the comic. And of course, the writer is Sam Humphreys. The artist is Alti Fermianza. The colorist is done by, the coloring is done by Jessica Colon. And the letters are done by VC's Joe Sabino. And I got to tell you, this is, it plays out, these three issues play out like a giant romantic comedy. Now, here's the thing. Secret Wars has happened, Battleworld is, you know, people living on Battleworld and stuff like that, where Doctor Doom is God. Right. Now, here's the thing. While, you know, with whole, the whole battle world thing, people are different. For example, in this comic, in this series, Gambit is the Collector. That's interesting, because you can almost kind of see that. Yeah. I mean,
1: I know that when you do these different kinds of series and you change things up a little bit, you're like, ah, oh, really? But they that that almost is a good choice, and I never would have thought of that. So that that's interesting. How does that kind of play out as it goes on?
2: Well, as it plays out going on, it's because Gambit has his own... Gambit's still Gambit, but he is the collector. He has the collector's qualities where he wants right. things, collects things. And he collects things that are of the past Earth, before Battle World, So, you know, he, he collects these things. And so him and Kitty Pride, Now, this Kitty Pride is the Age of Apocalypse, Kitty Pride.
1: Okay, alright, that explains a lot.
2: So, she pretty much is uh, a, on a mission from Doom's, I believe, daughter or sister? <clears throat> I, can't, I can't remember. And pretty much she, like, the thing is, she has to give this artifact to Gambit. And Quill sees Kitty because now the Quill in this one, he pretty much lays out back in issue one of, okay, you know, how am I, how did I not become somebody different a different person of me, you know, and it's because Reed Richards built this whole space station that kind of protected them in a sense. And so he's saying like, you know, throughout the series and throughout issue three, like, you know, he's trying to figure out and, and kind of connect with Kitty about how, you know, the Kitty pride he loved back in the old earth and stuff like that. So pretty much, episode three or episode three, Jesus issue three, picks up where they break into Doctor Doom's museum. Doom has his own museum, pretty much, and they get caught up by Gambit, and they're and Gambit's saying like, you know, uh, I tr- I did a whole switcheroo on you. I'm wanting this whole artifact on you because they punched, you know. Stole it. They were trying to get it back from Gambit because Gambit Sprint stole the artifact without doing the whole transaction thing with Kitty. So, pretty much as it goes out, <laughs> I'm trying. The thing is with this issue, I'm trying not to spoil it because a lot of it is very spoiler heavy. Um, something happens that Quill figures out that, hey, I'm on Battle World, there's different versions of these certain characters, and It affects Kitty as well. So it's like finding out in the Truman Show that you're on the Truman Show kind of thing. Kind of, but it's one of those things where he's like, wait a minute, this thing that's holding us is another version of Kitty. So I'm going to do it by singing this song and he ends up falling in love with it. It's weird. It's hard to explain. That is like, really... But it's funny. That's that's deep, man. But it's... it's, (laughs) It's funny like, if I'm confusing you, I'm sorry. No, it's not confusing, it's just like, okay, I kinda see what you're what where you're going with that. He's That's realizing like... that there's different like part like there's different versions of kitty, so he's saying, Okay, here's how I can save us by channeling one of my kitty's uh, memories, pretty much, of me or one of her favorite things. And as, as long as he's causes... not saying here kitty, 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 I'm okay with it. <clears throat> pretty much. It wasn't that, it was more him singing, which was great. Um, so anyways. Uh, They get free, and this whole thing is just, you know, Peter, at the end, finds out what this whole artifact is that Gambit stole from Kitty originally. And pretty much the ending is him and Drax, because Drax is more of a club owner. He's got hair. He's kind of a funny guy. He's not the Drax of old. Wow. He's more alert of, like, social things, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And... And uh, it's one of those things where it's like, you can see where Marvel wants to take Star-Lord going forward, especially the Guardians of the Galaxy. Because let's just say this artifact is something very close to the Guardians of the Galaxy. It might actually replicate one of them as well. Ah,
1: very interesting.
2: So pretty much this series, it kicked off after Star-Lord, you know, the Legendary Star-Lord's regular run, then you had old Secret Wars saying, and this is kind of a kind of romantic comedy tie-in leading off into what Marvel's likely going to be doing with Guardians of the Galaxy, or more than likely the new Star-Lord series that's coming out.
1: So given that, given that you were a fan of Legendary Star-Lord, you've viewed that in the past in the show, and how they seem to be making a seamless transition into the all new, all different, uh, I know it's going to be hard to give this a rating, but... Let's put it this way. Does this make you want to move on and continue with whatever series this is building up to?
2: Well, the thing is, it actually kind of does. Um, again, I don't know what series it's leading up to. There's only a few that you can possibly tie it into, just the way it ends. But, I mean, this is, this series is a whole—this is a pull for me, this entire series. It was great. There were times where I was laughing. Uh, a couple of chuckles here and there. I liked some of the things that they did. The, some of the writing was great. Humphreys did some great writing. The art by, you know, uh, Fermanza, fantastic. You know, it was it was throughout the entire run, it was just great, great stuff. And I mean, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's different. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just action, action, action. It was yeah, like, I like that. And, and the thing about this book, which I loved about it so much, is when you're reading it, even though this isn't the same Kitty Pride, but it's still the same Star Lord. It made you, as the reader, believe that they were a couple, or they at least used to be some version of a couple in the past world.
1: Right. That's kind of how I feel when I read uh, Harley Quinn and Power Girl from DC. It's it's one of those things where I, it's okay. You know it's a different version of Harley and a different version of Power Girl, but it feels like they just work together as a team you know what i mean it's just the, the by play works and the story works and like you said it's not all action 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 there's good humor elements in there too so that's kind of the similar feeling that i've had about that series
2: yep and that's gonna do it for this week's edition of what we're Read again sponsored by fantasy escape comics and cards aragon boulevard in virginia beach i reviewed star lord kitty pride number three and i said it was a poll in fact the entire series is a poll for me and james did Heroes vengeance which he said was a pickup. But coming up next, it's this week in Geektainment, and we're going to be kicking off and ending, at least for the most part, until Supergirl comes out at least, our fall TV review. This week we got The Flash and Arrow, so stay tuned. That's coming up next. I'm Down and Nerdy.
0: Hi, this is Katrina Law from Arrow, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham and Nick Battaglia.
1: Based on our past This Week in Geek Taming segments, I think we could say it's time for the big ones because, Nick, we're going through our Fall, t- fall TV Preview 2015 again. This time, it's The Flash and Arrow with both of their season premieres, and they were both huge.
2: Mmm, two juicy big ones. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, no, these, you know, season four of Arrow kicked off, of course, last night. Uh, and then Flash, of course, kicked off earlier this week with season two. And let's start off with Flash first because there is a little bit of a tie in with this week's version of Arrow, actually, a major tie in with this week's version of Arrow. So let's start off with the Flash. So, of course, with season one ended, there is that whole time warp thing. Barry goes inside of it. And we kind of, and this is going to be spoiler filled, by the way, as all of our reviews are. So, Barry goes inside of this whole. Warp thing, everything else. We find out that Central City saved. However, there he's actually not really the reason as to why it's saved, James.
1: Yeah, and that becomes a problem throughout the episode for him. It was actually saved by again, spoiler alert, Firestorm. But here's the thing: Ronnie Raymond, quote unquote, dies when right. he breaks through the singularity. But the Doctor remains. So that brings up a whole problem with Caitlin now. And then you fast forward, what was it, like six months later, something like that? And now the team's kind of in disarray. Barry's doing things on his own. And it's the classic superhero trope of uh, I don't think I'm worthy kind of thing, which you kind of knew that we were going to get to eventually.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, with Ronnie, now here's my take on Ronnie, why we say he's probably not dead. Remember, this is going to be a season that deals with multiple timelines. You have multiple people coming in and out of the current Central City. I think Tom, Ronnie, Tommy. I think Ronnie is in another direction or dimension. I think he's gone off in another dimension because remember he's got to come back for Legends of Tomorrow. So, right, right. There's, and Doctor Stein is still there. Uh, but I, again, I think that that's the route they're going to go. But moving forward, of course, you know, Zoom is coming. But of course, we can't. We got to start. We have to talk about. The big bad of the week, of course, we're talking about Adam Smasher and Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Edge from the WWE played Adam Smasher and he did a pretty damn good job.
1: I, I thought it was a great job, and I was trying to explain to my wife uh, all the stuff about Adam Smasher, and he really is Bane, the nuclear Bane yeah. kind of thing, you know what I mean? But I thought he did a great job, and he was very menacing, and he definitely brought that... He's used to being a bad guy in wrestling anyway, so he definitely yeah. brought that element without the corniness to it. Mm. But, but there, at, at, towards the end of the episode, when they're fighting... And he, again, quote-unquote dies, but we know that he's not going to because we'll be seeing him again later on. And he, the way he brings that emotion oh, yeah. when he's sort of lost is – that was awesome, man. The, I just thought he did a great job.
2: Well, the emotion he shows when he's when Barry's in the chamber with him and he says, you know, he promised me he'd take me home. And yeah. he said, who? And he just says, you know, Zoom. That's a very touching and emotional moment. Yeah, this is a guy who's pretty much terrorized Central City for the whole episode, but you see the reason why. And you know when you're, when, you know, it's kind of like we saw with uh, you know Harrison Wells last season yep. and Eobard Thawne. You know, it's kind of like he's terrorizing doing certain things. However, it's to get back home, and that's the ultimate thing. Right. And then, of course, you know we gotta talk about, it, dude. We get our first look, not in costume, but our first look at Jay Garrick. Man, and he just strolls through like a boss yeah. in the flash
1: cave, man. He just walks in and they draw guns on him like, who are you? No, tell me who are you. He's like, my name's Jay Garrick and your world's in trouble. You know? It I was like, it, wow. Okay. It only
2: could have been cooler if he just lit a cigarette before he said that.
1: I mean, just wow. The way he just walks in and owns the friggin' room. Yeah. It was just amazing. And of course, by that time, Caitlin's kind of back in the fold, and they probably they've kind of told everybody, you know, Barry, you can't do this alone. They had the Flash Day celebration, and yeah. he kind of embraced that. So we got through the trope of him, you know, acting like he's not worthy pretty quickly.
2: The one thing I like about this episode, well, other than a lot of things about it, but the one major thing is I like the fact that when it comes to certain storylines, they gave them closure. And of course, the big oh, one yeah. And of course the big one is Barry's dad getting out of prison finally after Hanson Wells. We- Harrison Wells pretty much carry yep. a flash drive saying, "Here's my confession," and it makes you know what in, in, that, in that moment, it makes you feel like, okay, yes, Harrison Wells, Eobard Thun did some horrific things in season one. However, does this, in your mind, James, as a Flash fan, kind of make him, you know, repent and kind of cleanse his his sins a little bit? Well, do you think?
1: Here's the thing um they they definitely did a different take on Eobard Thon in the flash so let's remember that yeah. I'm going to preface my answer with that it's almost like a, you know how we've we've seen this in other things before where you you get possessed and you're like I know there's some good in you maybe that little bit of Harrison Wells was creeping out from Eobard Thawne and kind of took over a little bit, and that's what we kind of saw. And it, it almost made it because, you know, people seemed to love Harrison Wells, even when right. they knew who he was as Flash fans. And I think that that's part of what we saw here. It made you not hate him going out with a bang, you know?
2: Well, what did we want, What did we see with Harrison Wells in the first season? He wanted Barry to go faster. He wanted Barry to to do well and everything else. And even if it, though it was Eobard Thawne, he pushed still, him. Yeah. He pushed him. Harrison Wells, Eobarthon, did this because he knew it was pretty much one of the mainly the only ways Barry could get this certain type of closure. It would be the only way Barry could really achieve his full potential,
1: right? Exactly. So, I just think that that was a really cool thing that they did. I mean, I know some fans might not like it because he's supposed to be evil. No, shut up. They did it different. Let, just, just, it, let it happen. It did work, it was huge. And the, the, the last thing I think we need to talk about with this show is, again, Barry's dad gets out of prison, but then we kind of get a very emotional moment between Barry and his dad, and Barry's dad decides he needs to take off. Oh, yeah,
2: and that's the thing, is like, you know, Barry's dad gets out of prison, so you think, okay, all is well, Barry's got his dad back after, what, it was like 15 years or so in prison, and the thing is, they had this big welcome home party for him, however, Barry's like, you know, Dad, we can get this apartment, you know, uh... You know, and everything else. They're that, that, planning their life out a little bit, you know, so they can go back together. And then you get the look of Barry's dad telling him, hey, I'm not going to be sticking around long. I'm going to be going. And he pretty much says, you know, the reason why is because he's like, I would be holding you back. Yeah, and I mean, that's just one more person
1: that would be in danger.
2: Yeah. And, you know, then, and his dad knows that. And the thing is, the tell sign is, this might play on later in the season, his dad gives Joe a look. Yep. And it's kind of like when Joe, I think, maybe went to go tell him he was – we don't see him. We see him getting out, like outside the prison. We don't see right. him, like, getting out of the cell or anything else. We don't see the whole proceedings. Joe may have told him, hey, it might be best for you to leave Central City and let Barry take right. care of it and everything else for a certain amount of reasons. And it works. And, you know, who knows where he went. You know, my guess is that he might have maybe gone to Coast City. I don't know. Yeah,
1: we'll find out. And I think that that might be a likely destination for him, actually. Remember, the whole theme of this episode was letting Barry be the Flash. He needs to be the Flash yeah. kind of thing. And how, I think that you hit the nail on the head with the whole look thing. Maybe they had a discussion that we haven't seen yet.
2: How cool and funny would it be if... Because you know, this is a season that's going to deal with, like, Wally West. And, of course, you have Barry Allen and mm-hmm. then Jay Garrick. How cool would it be... Just like in a dream sequence remember, whatever, Barry's dad, John Wesley ship, gets back in the old 1980s Flash costume or whatever and just shows up somewhere, like in a dream or something like that. That would be
1: pretty cool if it was just like you said in a dream sequence and it was like an alternate dimension type thing. I think that would be cool. As far as continuity goes, I think that would drive fans absolutely crazy, but just to see him <laughs> back in that suit, yeah. even in a dream sequence, I think it would be kind of like how they started the episode you're like, wait a minute. Harrison Wells, wait a minute, why is he standing up? Wait a minute, how is yep. all this happening? And it wasn't actually happening. So if yep. they did it in that regard, I think that would be great.
2: Exactly. Now, of course, that was Flash. So let's give our ratings for Flash real quick, James. What would you give it?
1: I got to give it a solid 9, just as I always do. It's been the most consistent show since it premiered, and it didn't didn't stray off that for me.
2: I got to go 9 as well, dude. I mean, this that's the thing, man. Uh, this was a great show, great kickoff to Season 2. The ratings slipped a little bit, but again...
1: I mean, from a record-setting premiere... That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. You can't, it's hard to, to re- replicate that, but I'm excited the way Season 2 is going. Now, let's get moving to Season 4 of Arrow, which, of course, premiered last night. Of course, we're recording this on a Thursday, so it premiered on Wednesday night. And, um, yeah, okay, I'm going to say this. After the first two seasons, saying, I'm Team Laurel, if you had a date between Laurel and felicity your day i always said laurel yeah after this episode i'm all team felicity now see man
1: we've talked about this on the show before i kept trying to tell you but now you finally come around because yeah. i mean the whole domestic thing i got to tell you it i know it wasn't really meant to be funny but It was funny for me to watch them being domestic. And then, of course, uh, and and we'll get through the the meat of the episode here in a second. But when you fast forward later on, they're actually back in in, uh, Star City. And Felicity says, oh, if I had to hear you exchange recipes with that woman again, I was going to shoot myself in the face.
2: (laughs) I'm like, like, yeah, that's kind of how we all felt in a weird way. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that relationship between, of course... Oliver Queen and Felicity. Now, of course, we see them both go off and they go off wherever. We don't really see where they go. They go to the suburbs. We don't know where, though. Um, But they're, you know, domesticated lives. You know, he's no longer the Arrow. They're living together kind of thing. And uh, they're out with their, you know, friends or whatever. And it's just like, Oh, you should be playing for schools. You should to- and they're like, we haven't talked uh-huh. about kids. And he's just like nervously drinking. He's like, oh, we ain't never talked about that. And then Felicity just goes, Who wants more mimosas? <laughs> Awkward. Like, but I'm, let's talk about it. I'm glad that they brought back. I know it's been one episode, but I'm glad that everything we've heard about Felicity's character as a whole is she's not gonna be the irritating, crying, right. whining Felicity she was in season three, which even you know Emily Bett Rickards had a problem with. She's like, you know, can we make me a little bit more funnier like we did in the first two seasons? Yeah, I mean she
1: was funny and she kind of took hold a little bit. You know, oh, she, kinda, she took hold, initially she episode. kinda guided her man back to the promised land sort of thing. So yeah. I mean, I, I like kind of the way that, that that they're going with her character. And of course, you know, we've got the ghosts that are terrorizing Star City, and that's what ends up drawing Oliver back in, because Team Era without Oliver kinda can't seem to handle it.
2: Yeah, now you know Arrow comprised, of course, of Dig, Diggle and uh, Black Canary and Speedy, who is now in this version, the TV version, Arrow's sister, Thea, which I think fits. I'm I'm sorry. I think Thea being Red Arrow slash Speedy, I think fits more. Better than Roy being Speedy.
1: I agree. And in a weird way, doesn't she look more like Speedy from the comics a little bit?
2: That, but also it adds a layer to Oliver and Thea's relationship where, yeah, you know, she was trained by Malcolm Merlin and stuff like that to fight and everything else. And she's clearly gotten better in like, what do you say, the five months or three months that you've been doing this? I
1: think it was like six, eight months. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah.
2: But the fact is, you know, you see this thing with, with her... And it's just, it fits really well because it has that dynamic, that brother-sister dynamic of being protected because he's back now. And let, everything me, let, else.
1: Me, let me throw something into this mix and let me see if you feel the same way. Okay. And just follow my logic on this for a second. When we have that scene where she's fighting and she kind of gets out of control a little bit later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to put pieces together in my head and I'm going to tell you, I got a real Damian Wayne vibe off of Thea because she's starting to lose control a little bit. Remember, she's now trained by a member of the League of Assassins, and now she's mm-hmm. taking up a sidekick mantle kind of thing from an older not not in this case sibling, not you know father figure, but who else would be a father figure to Thea because mm-hmm. her her dad died at a very early age. So, just saying, I got a little bit of a Damian Wayne vibe. What do you think?
2: I love Damian Wayne vibe. Re- remember, she did go into Lazarus Pit. Remember that. She yep. was in the Lazarus Pit, so even though she wasn't really dead for a long times, we might see a little bit of a side effect about that. Remember, John Constantine comes in later in the, in the season, and Sarah Lance gets res- resurrected later in the season. We, there might be some little underlying things with Thea and the whole you know, being revived through the Lazarus pit.
1: Exactly. You got to keep that in mind as you move on. And I think that they're going to need old Johnny Constantine because of the big bad
2: Damien Dark. And man, is he bad. Now, I'm going to say this. The one thing I liked about this show is that I felt that with each passing season, the villains kind of went up a notch each season. You know, you had, of course, Malcolm Merlin season one, and you had Slade, and then you had, uh, Who was season three? Oh, yeah, the the League of Assassins and Raish. Now you're going Damian Dark. And, again, with Damian Dark, it fits perfectly. Remember, Raish had that flashback of him saying, you know, he is now has a hive of, of people, and, you know, he's pretty much got the whole league training, the league following down, but he's doing it his own way. So... But yeah, dude, he's just a big bad motherfucker, dude. And he we is... see that he's got
1: that whole, you know, basically he touches someone and they he sucks the life oh, out of them when they die. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much more bad than that. And and when they said when Team Error was talking to Oliver about it when they first saw him do that, they said, you know, he's a metahuman, and Oliver says he's not a metahuman. I've dealt with things yep. that I can't explain before, and then. There you go. That sets up a whole different kind of bad guy. So now we're moving to the mystics. So we went from people with no powers, people with powers. Now we've got mystical powers. So again, there's a nice natural
2: progression there. Exactly. And of course, we've been talking about this for a while now. When is Oliver Queen going to become Green Arrow? When is he going to accept the mantle and say, I am Green Arrow. I'm not just the arrow. I'm Green Arrow. They did it perfectly in this episode and... It's about damn time that he takes up that mantle as Green Arrow.
1: Oh yeah, saying saying I am the Green Arrow. It was a big moment in the show, and and of course the new suit looks great. Yeah. Uh, there's still friction between him and him and Diggle, but that's to be understood, and I think that we'll deal with that as the as the uh, episode goes on. And let's talk about just for a second, just as a quick fashion statement for Diggle. I'll be honest, for me. Didn't look as much like Magneto helmet as it was in the show as I thought it would.
2: Yeah, I think that when you know everybody say, "Well, it looks like Magneto, it looks like Magneto." Again, it's a photo; it's photoshopped, lit differently. When you see it in action, you don't really, you know, it it was totally different. It came off more Judge Dredd to me, but it was fine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it like, was totally different. And how it's cool is his well, like, I like the way that, like his whole weaponry. Do you see how kind of advanced his guns yes, were? How yes. they kind of formed out of nothing pretty much? That was very
1: cool, and I wonder if Cisco had something to do with that. Just like Cisco yeah. made the new aero suit. So that was really neat, but okay, let let's just get to it right now. We got the very end of the show. What do we see? We see Oliver clearly upset standing by a gravestone and uh-huh. who happens to be standing next to him but Barry Allen. And they have a little back and forth and Oliver says, I'm going to kill him. He's clearly upset. So let, let's just discuss the elephant in the room here. Who do you think is etched on that tombstone? Now a reminder,
2: this whole scene is set six months later after this first episode aired. I know a lot of people are going to say Felicity and everything else. I think, we were kind of talking about this this morning too, James. I think that it's not going to be Felicity. And you got to think about this too, of who it could be. You know, it's not going to be Thea, it's not going to be Laurel, it's not going to be anybody really from canon more than likely. Right, right. I think it's going to be Diggle. I think Diggle dies this season.
1: Well, I remember when we were talking about this, like you said earlier this morning, I said, look at the comics. Who lifts right out? Yeah, and the two people that lift right out going forward are Diggle and Felicity. Now I know they've started to work them into the comics more recently, but those are the ones that lift right out. So I, I agree, it could really go either way, but I think they want you to think it's Felicity. Yeah, and, and that's where it li- and that's where it comes in. That's why I think you might be right. I think it could be Diggle.
2: And here's why I think it's Diggle, for this sole reason: yes, Felicity, a loved one dying like Felicity, that you wanted to marry and have the whole rest of your life with. Her dying would give you some fuel to your fire. Yeah, he's got a ring, dude. But a guy that you've been pretty much brothers with since nearly the first couple episodes of the first season, a guy you've been in the field with multiple times, a guy you've gone on missions with and you know had your disagreements with, everything else, Remember, they're building off that little rift where Dale's still pissed at Oliver for kidnapping his wife and putting his daughter in danger.
1: Exactly, we know that that's going to progress throughout the season, and we know that eventually all's going to be well. But when is all going to be well, exactly. or is it not? It's going to be too late, and maybe yeah. Oliver never gets that chance to completely mend fences with Diggle, so that is very interesting. And, I mean, we don't want to get into the whole who's more important, Diggle or Felicity. That's not what we're saying. What we're no. saying is, is that Oliver loves Diggle, too, okay? A lo- love for a brother like that and somebody you've got thrown down with, that's very strong bond, too. So don't think that just because he's that upset that it's going to be
2: Felicity. It could easily still be Diggle. Exactly. And, that, and that's the thing is, like, I think, you know, if Diggle, if his show that Diggle is dead... If he dies, that is just going to bring in a whole nother wet. Like with Felicity dying, I'm not saying it'd be weaker. I'm just saying that there's only so many ways you can go at that. You know what I'm saying? But with Diggle, again, they have, the reason why I say it's Diggle is because he's been in the field with Oliver. He has more, he, I think he's been around Oliver more than Felicity has.
1: Well, I mean, remember they've known each other longer. Oh, exactly. That That's part of it too. They've actually known each other longer. So. And here's
2: the thing. Not to cut you off, but here's how I think Diggle's going to die. I'm going to speculate on this. In the episode, we get a flashback of Diggle. And he and after Oliver talks about Hive, and Diggle's like, did you say Hive? I think Diggle goes after Damien Dark because we find out there's a connection. We're not going to say what it is. Even though I know we do spoilers, but I don't want to do this one because it's too big of one just like another one that happened earlier in the yeah, show. Yeah, I know
1: exactly what you're talking about. There's a big spoiler towards the almost at the end of the episode Yeah, we are we're, we're just not going to reveal that just in case. Cuz yeah. that that's really huge, but I but go ahead, there's go
2: on. that's just saying that there's a connection. Well, oh, there's a, a huge connection between Damian Dark and Diggle, and I think that's going to set up his death.
1: There's another shocking uh spoiler that deals with Damien Dark that I also don't think we should get into
2: that's another one I was talking about. Yeah, let's, I, let's we, not get let's into not that Let's not that one because that is, to me, that is a, oh, my God, no yeah. way this happened moment. You, just, It's one of those things, this is what I like about this show. I didn't see it coming at well, all. This is the thing This is the thing about, I think this season is going to bring. I think this season is going to bring that type of thing where, you know, we don't see certain things coming. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work on the element of surprise really, really well. Mm-hmm.
1: And I could tell you right now that I think, here's my theory. Diggle is going to die either saving Thea or saving Felicity. Yeah. The reason I say that is is that okay, so Oliver kidnapped his wife and that's why Diggle's upset and you know put her put her and her and their child in danger. So Diggle's going to go down protecting somebody that Oliver loves yep. the most and that's what's going to get Oliver that at the end of the day after everything Oliver did, quote unquote, to Diggle he still was willing to sacrifice himself for somebody that Oliver loved. And exactly. I think that's how it's going to go down, and that's why it's going to bother Oliver so much.
2: Exactly. That's going to do it for this week in Geek Team. we come up next.
1: Well, we got to give our ratings first. Hold on. Uh, I, know, I know I I know, know, you're anxious. I know. You, know you want to oh, get the nerd news. Fine. Big nerd news coming up. But what would you rate the season four premiere of Arrow? Oh, I'm going to give it a 10. The swerve makes it a 10.
0: Totally I mean, a 10.
1: agree. The swerves that we can't talk—if we can't talk about it, it's a ten. Trust me. So yeah. hopefully you're, you've already watched all those shows. We've still got Supergirl to deal with, and we're going to be talking about Dave, talking to Dave Harewood of Supergirl who plays Hank Henshaw a little bit later on. But coming up next, like we said, we got a boatload of nerd news, and it's some big stuff right here on Down and Nerdy.
0: Hey guys, this is Dexter Darden from the Maze Runner series, and you're listening
2: to Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time there is we go around the interwebs and see what's trending. And James, it's time for what? No No! news. Our first story, of course, deals with Hasbro and Transformers. Now, Stephen J. Davis (laughs) confirmed in his keynote speech at MIPCOM spinoff. MIP Jr. Sounds like a children's channel. (laughs) That just Uh, doesn't sound right at all. None of it. It sounds like an animated children's channel. He revealed that the writers, you know, they have the new writing room, they plan to next, get this, 10 years of Transformers. Now, Deadline noted that Transformers 5 is being worked up on, as well as 6, 7, and yes, 8. That's a lot of transforming. Let me
1: tell you, that's just a lot. I mean... Nine writers were in this, were part of this group, okay? So, the fact that they planned it out this far, I guess, shouldn't be that surprising, but still, I mean, they're marveling it, and basically they haven't even started this, can we call it a rebooted universe?
2: No, because it's going to be pretty much... I think it's going to be connected. If you're calling it Transformers 5, 6, 7, 8, it's going to be all connected, I think.
1: So so in this... I, revamped, let's let's call it that. Because
2: Megan Fox came out and said she wants to be in it now and everything else. It's just like, oh, God.
1: Well, I mean, she's in Turtles. Can she do both?
2: I honestly don't care. Do we
1: care? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the other question. Do we really care? I, so, I, why come back, though?
2: It's one of these things where if, 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 if with Megan Fox... If you think about it, I'm sorry, but you want to start fresh these new writers. The last thing you want to do is bring in somebody who can't act, like Megan Fox. Well,
1: now keep in mind Again. the source. The source for her potentially coming back to the series was movie pilot,
2: right? Yeah, that's so true.
1: take that for a grain of salt. Not, no offense to those guys, but it tends to, you know, be more speculation on their part than anything else. Yeah. And, so we got to, you know, what we always wait for our for but, our sources. Uh, but it's worth discussing.
2: It's sort of disgusting, but again, you know, we were talking about earlier, like mo- like a month or so ago, about the whole, them taking it back to Cybertron, they want to do something with Cybertron and everything else, we're supposed to be getting this also as what, it's animated yeah. movie as well. Which I'm actually more excited for. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I, again, we're seeing this thing, because it is Transformers, it does make a lot of money, grand, most of the money was made over in Chinese theaters because they filmed a lot of it in China. Right. So, but the thing is, it makes money, and so of course, we're seeing this now with a lot of geeks properties people are planning out five years in advance their movie slate for a certain franchise i think this is too much for transformers dude i understand transformers is a big thing but i mean you only have so many characters here's my thing does this mean we're gonna get combiner wars maybe does this mean we're gonna get beast wars does it mean we're gonna get i don't know
1: could be I mean we could be talking about several different movies here too and remember Windblade's been getting very popular the female Transformers so I think that this is going to be the time that we're going to maybe start to introduce them so maybe it's not maybe it is more than meets the eye you know so maybe that's the whole point maybe it's maybe that's the point that they're planning it out in advance because they've already got plans to introduce some of these newer characters I understand the reservation I'm right there with you it's just that okay if we're going to do this and if everybody got in a room and everybody's together now, we've made these decisions, let's make it worth our while now, and let's create better stories than the crap you've just been kind of throwing against the wall lately.
2: Exactly, and it's just like, you know, you have this new writer's room, there's a lot of pressure building on these people that are writing these new movies. Right. If, if, because, if it's like, even if a new movie comes out by them, by this new writing group, if it comes out, and even if it makes a lot of money, but the it's just one of those things where it makes money because it's Transformers, you know, it's one of those things like, Avengers... Ultron or whatever make or a Marvel movie will make a bunch of movie or a bunch of money even though the movie might not be so great. Mm-hmm. Transformers makes say makes hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, but the thing is, what's gonna come down to is if the content sucks, then what happens? You know what I'm that, saying? That's
1: that is a huge risk, especially. They got to hit the first one out of the park. I'm sorry, especially after the last two that they've kind of brought out. You got to hit the first one out of the park because if you don't, it doesn't matter if names like Robert Kirkman are involved or not. People are going to stop going to these
2: movies. So speaking, moving on to our second story. Now, Seth Graham Smith, he's written genre-matching novels like Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. He's also writing Lego Batman for Warner Brothers. But now it's come out that he's going to be directing DC Comics' adaptation for for The Flash, yep. of course, starring Ezra Miller as Barry Allen. Now, this is, course, going The Hollywood Reporter, and he will also write the screenplay for the movie as well. Now, here's the thing about Flash. He's not going to make an appearance until Justice League Part 1, November 2017, and then he's going to have his own solo film in March of 2018. Now, you wonder, you want to know more about Graham Smith? Well, the thing is, outside of what I've told you already... He's never directed a film before.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a risk there. But of course, don't forget, this is a treatment that was written for The Flash by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who did the Lego movie. So there's some, I guess, some sort of Lego branding there. And of course, they're supposed to be involved in the Han Solo prequel film for Star Wars as well. So, I mean, there's some chops there. So it's almost like when they named that new showrunner for Supergirl, which we're going to be talking to Dave Harewood about coming up in our main topic. The guy was kind of an unknown, but he'd worked with Kreisberg and Guggenheim before. So it's like, okay, dude, we trust you. We're going to let you do this. Maybe this is one of those things where uh, you're putting a lot of stock into these Lego movie guys, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, to, to maybe say, okay, this guy's got the chops. He could do this. But based on what he's done already, like you said, I, I can't help but just be a
2: little bit scared here. Well, I'm going to try to ease a little bit of your being scared here for a second. Okay, let's... So this is DC film, of course, DC property. Now, of course, when you see it's somebody's first time directing, you're going to get scared because you say, Oh, my God, they have no prior experience to what is going on. But again, look at what he's doing. He's doing you know, Lego Batman. He's doing some other things when it comes to writing. Now, also, I want to say look at Marvel. Look at films like Iron Man with Jon Favreau. Now, I know he was kind of a he, big name acting-wise... Uh, or medium-sized We're like swingers and everything else. But directing, Iron Man was really his first big thing directing. A lot True. of pressure was right on that. Look at James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy. He only had done really Slither up until Guardians of the Galaxy, and look how that's turned out. True. So just because it's somebody's first time directing a major film like this, and it's understandable that people get scared about it, you have to look at like, okay, Ridley Scott has so many – Movies under his belt, but how many has really been good since the first Alien movie? You can say the
1: same thing about M. Night Shyamalan.
2: Exactly. So, So yeah. You know, it depends on the project, but I, I have full faith in Graham Smith going forward uh, with this film. Right. Uh,
1: well, well, again, if, if the Lego movie guys are, were already on board writing the treatment and now this guy who's going to be doing Lego Batman is jumping in, it, it, it eases me a little because it's almost like he's being vouched for and we know how good the Lego movie was. So uh-huh. it's almost like when Christberg and Guggenheim recommend somebody and after they've done Arrow and Flash and all of that, I'm like, okay, if they say he's good or she's good, then I'm good. So maybe this is the kind of same kind of
2: situation. Exactly. And speaking of some good writing and everything else, one of the biggest comics I think in the past year or so, or at least it's got a lot of acclaim, has been the Black Widow series previously from Marvel. Mm. And when Marvel as a whole all new, all different, Black Widow was not mentioned. A lot of people are saying, well, what the hell is going on with that? Well, now news has come out that in early 2016, Marvel is going to be debuting Black Widow number one, helmed by not only a brand new team, but also, the entire creative team of the recently completed Daredevil series. You're going to have writer Mark Wade, you're going to have Chris Semney, Sim- uh, Carlos Matthew Wilson, and letterer Joe Carmagna. So, how do you feel about that, dude?
1: Well, I know that we've been very critical of the Daredevil series in the past, and I know that we've talked about it many, many times, but not really being a fan of the, of the art in the series. I mean, it's hard to argue with the fact they're an a- Eisner Award winning team, and Mark Wade is a fantastic. Writer. Right. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. Um, I, you've, we've seen a little bit of previews for the art that's already come out. I, I'm turning around. Yeah, I'm, I'm really turning around. I think that uh, I think that Chris Samney's actually doing a pretty good job from what we've seen so far. I mean, it's hard, though, because Phil Noto, to me, and I, I hate to compare artists, but right. Phil Noto, to me, is just so talented and so detailed and did such a good job with the original uh, series for Black Widow that they had recently. It's gonna be hard for me to let that go. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I am glad that this is happening altogether. But and I, and I'm willing to give it a shot.
2: Yeah. Now I think well, what the thing was. Yeah, I read the past Daredevil series. I wasn't really in. I didn't like it. The whole art style and uh, the way the story went. Only because it, it felt weird. Like, like, this is Daredevil. You know, it's, it's dark and it's supposed to be grimy, but everything's all bright. It was and, too and colorful, like man.
1: Yeah. It was. It took, I it agree. Took me out of it.
2: But when I see what they want to do with Black Widow, at least for this series, yeah, the art fits. It fits perfectly, like what they want to do with it. So, I mean, I have no problem with it, you know? And, you know, I'll probably end up reading the first issue to see how it goes, too, dude.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of all-new, all-different stuff that's going to be coming out in the next several months, and I'm sure you'll be hearing us review some of it coming up on what we're reading on the show in and, and future weeks because, like Invincible, Iron Man number one just came out. I'm sure we'll be talking about that coming up in the future. But this one, I don't know. It's almost like, for some reason, we put... As fans, we kind of put bigger stock on Black Widow lately. Yeah. I think because we feel like we're not getting what we're supposed to be getting even in the movie universe from yeah. Black Widow, so maybe we put more stock in in her comics and other stuff that she's in. So, it'd be very interesting to see how much weight that they put on this series and actually for me how it sells because believe it or not, kids that matters.
2: Oh yeah. It definitely matters. It really really does. So, I mean, you know, we'll see what Marvel has up their sleeve for this upcoming you know, slate of new comics coming out. However, let's look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and our final story this week. So this happened earlier today. Marvel dropped a pretty big schedule shakeup earlier mm-hmm. with news that now that Phase Two is officially concluded, Phase Three is going to be getting a makeover. First up, of course, was the news that Ant Man is, of course, getting a sequel, as it will. We knew it was, but however, we knew the Watch was going to be part of it, right? Yes. Well, the new title. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Exactly what they needed to do because Wasp, we know is going to have a huge role going forward, maybe even into infinity war. So I, I think it's great. And I think that this speaks to how well, Paul Rudd and the entire Ant-Man team did with this movie. I mean, this was one of the ones where we pointed it out when we saw it, we're like Ant-Man, I don't know. How is this going to do? And it exceeded expectations much like guardians did. So for them to get a sequel and for them to push stuff like black Panther and captain Marvel getting pushed back now, why don't you go through the numbers and and tell people what the actual schedule is going to be.
2: Okay. So February 16th, 2018, that's black Panther. Now, Previously it was supposed to be July sixth of that year. Yeah. And July sixth of twenty eighteen to be in that spot is Ant-Man and the Wasp. And that was never announced until today. Right. They were gonna they knew that we knew a sequel was coming, but we didn't know that this sequel was coming. Uh, so then March eighth, twenty nineteen, we have Captain Marvel, which of course was previously supposed to go out. November 2nd of 2018, so again, it gets pushed back. And then the next three movies, May 1st, 2020, an untitled Marvel Studios film. July 10th, 2020, another untitled Marvel Studios film. And of course, November 6th, same thing, an untitled Marvel Studios film is going to happen. So, let's take a guess, James. Okay. Okay. What are the three untitled Marvel Studios films you think they're going to be?
1: I think that one of them is a potential Doctor Strange sequel. Okay. Only because I think that they're going to do the same thing they did with Ant-Man. It's a wait and see. Yep. And I think they're keeping a slot open just in case Doctor Strange does what, let's face it, what Ant-Man did and exceed expectations. I think that they want to fill that slot with one of those. The other two, I don't know. I mean, we've already got Guardians that they're going to do. And uh, Inhumans is still scheduled for 2019 right now. And of course, you've got the two Infinity Wars. I'm starting to wonder, uh, are we looking at maybe... A Thor spin-off
2: movie? Well, the thing is with that, though, who could you spin it off of, though?
1: Are we looking at maybe a Winter Soldier movie? Because last time I checked, Sebastian Stan's not really doing anything.
2: Yeah, he's got a bunch of movies on his contract left. I think we're going to get... Here's what I think we're going to get. We're going to get one more captain we're gonna get another Captain America movie, but it's not going to be Steve Rogers. I think it's going to be right. Bucky Barnes
1: right because they remember they came out and said recently that this is going to be the end of the Captain America Trilogy, right because they like doing them in threes clearly, so this will be the end of the Captain America Trilogy, and maybe like you said, this is where Bucky kind of picks up the mantle after Civil War and it
2: won't be called Captain America. But it'll probably be called like Bucky Barnes or something like that you maybe know?
1: it'll be maybe it' be called uh uh Bucky Barnes, the, the Captain America, Bucky Barnes or something like that. Yeah. I still think like you got to get the name in there because you know how studios are, man. You need to have yeah. that familiar <laughs> title in there. So if you don't put Captain America in there, the word people won't go see it and all that other crap.
2: I got to say the other 2020. Whew.
1: It's hard, man, because we're getting into that. Era. Oh, what about a Miss Marvel movie? Miss
2: Marvel could happen. What about a Spider-Man film? We could, get a, we could get a Spider-Man film in there. I think, but now I got to think about this, though, because you yeah, got Captain Marvel, Black Panther. I think the three films, I think they're mostly going to be sequels. I could see... I think so, too. Because the infinity Gauntlet comes out, what, like 2018 or 2019, something I like that? I think
1: 2018 for the first one. Let me check on the second one.
2: Okay, so while you're doing that, um, I would say Guardians 3... But how, it all depends on how Infinity War is going. Okay, remember
1: May, May of 2019 for Infinity War Part 2, and Infinity War Part 1 is going to open after Black Panther, but before AMI. Ooh.
2: So I would say Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Only thing, though, is Thanos in the comics kills the Guardians.
1: Yeah, so... so yeah, what, what do we do there?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, in humans, it's not they're not gonna put out another sequel within a year. I
1: mean, you're getting into deep cuts here. Oh this yeah, is, this is this is the this is the album cuts of Marlboro right here. This if you're music, a, this, is, this is the deep tracks, man. They're, the the iTunes playlist is near the bottom right now because this is, I, and I know that there's some there's some people that ca- the characters that people love. Well, oh, I that haven't got movies yet. What about Nova movie? Okay, Nova Nova Corpse. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. I'm okay with that because that could branch right off of Guardians.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. Let's do that. Yeah, I mean, he's the only like person I can think of like so far off the top of my head that can get like a one off that would make sense. Well, uh,
1: and I mean Miss Marvel's just so popular right now in the comics. That's the only reason I suggested that Miss Marvel might be one of those. Maybe, hey, Daredevil fans. Do we get him on the big screen finally? I don't Maybe? think we do.
2: I don't think we do though. I don't I think he's just gonna stay with Netflix. I think I, th- I
1: think that's what should happen, but will it happen?
2: Right. You know what I mean? Um, but let's go back to this whole swapping of things. How do you feel about this? I'm pushing back Captain Marvel and everything else like that.
1: I think that Captain Marvel fans are probably really upset about this. Yeah. But you know what? What are you going to do, man? You, if anything, you should be happy that Black Panther think, got moved up.
2: Well, here's the thing. A lot of, I'm going to bring it here because I have to. I've seen a lot of people say, you know, they don't—they're kind of upset because you know Marvel's pushing back. Of course, the first film that's is you know all about the female character, the main and protagonist is a female character. So they're like, "Oh, how did that come they're pushing her back?" Now you got Ant-Man and the Wasp, but i can understand what they're saying. Like you know, you have Captain Marvel, which is Captain Marvel. Here's my thing: Why I pushed it back though? There's so much riding on Captain Marvel outside. You know, Black Panther, okay, Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah. There's so much writing on Captain Marvel. The Marvel has to get it right, so they're pushing it back. Even if it's for a, a, a half a year or whatever, they're pushing it back. Like, okay, we gotta get this right because there's so much writing on this. She's such a powerful, you know, a, a powerful and popular character right now. They can, we, we cannot fuck this up.
1: Can can I advance another theory? Yeah maybe they just don't want to put it close to the Wonder Woman movie that's coming out in 2017. That is true. Maybe they're worried that this Wonder Woman movie is going to do gangbusters, and then they're going to have to follow that. Maybe it's going to be a great... I'm not saying it's going to be a great movie. I'm just saying if. What if it's... What if Gail Godot knocks it out of the park and does a great movie, and then months from then, you're going to get Captain Marvel? That's going to heighten expectations on Captain Marvel. You push it to 2019, all of a sudden there's that distance and you don't really have to worry about it anymore
2: exactly and i'm
1: sure dc would do the same thing
2: oh yeah again it's getting that point we're scraping that bomb that barrel see what marvel can come out with this mcu so like i i don't know man i'm excited about this you know i'm glad ant-man's getting a
1: sequel soon
2: i'm glad it's getting a sequel soon as well because i mean it has to but again you know they, they, I think after this, schedules change, everything else, they can't do anymore. They can't no. swap, swap schedules anymore. They're, well, already pushing, they're already pushing humans back a little bit because of mm-hmm. Spider-Man. They push a lot of stuff back and move stuff around. They can't shuffle this stuff anymore, dude. But
1: again, and I, I hate to keep harping on this, this is the problem when everything's connected together. Because if it wasn't, what would be the big deal about just putting another movie in there? Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I understand that it being connected certainly worked out for them already, but th- this is when the problems come in, and you can't make decisions like this on the fly when you've got to connect universe, because this th- this is a ripple effect, man. It could affect all the movies, just like Spider-Man screwed everything up.
2: Well, I'm going to say this. I know how I said they can't push, move anything around anymore. I think they're going to do it one more time, and here's why. Remember how I talked about the whole Hulk dilemma, how Universal has the distribution rights? Yep. I think by, you're going to see by 2018, 2019, you're going to see Marvel get distribution rights from the Hulk, from Universal, or you're going to see another thing with Universal and Marvel, like we saw with Marvel and Sony.
1: That's a possibility. I mean, we could could be looking at Planet Hulk or something else in one of those 2020 movies. Maybe that's why they haven't announced it yet. Maybe it's wishful thinking on their part. But again, a Hulk movie's ne- Hulk movie is never going to be a sure thing, no matter who the rights, ha- who has the rights.
2: Exactly. Well, and is gonna
1: Ruffalo be- even s- still going to be around?
2: I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But one thing we do know is up next, coming up is our interview with Supergirl's David Harewood, who of course plays Hank Henshaw on CBS's Supergirl. Our interview with him comes up next on Down Nerdy. Hey, what's up? This is Brandon Chap Robinson, the director of the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the coolest nerds ever on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Well, last year was The Flash. This year, the most anticipated premiere of the fall has got to be Supergirl on CBS, which is going to premiere October the 26th at 8.30. We're so excited to have the guy that's going to be playing Hank Henshaw on the show with us. It's Dave Harewood. David, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good, man. this morning. I'm uh, riding around the mall. Electric it's, been, it's, uh, it's a great morning.
2: <laughs> so, what have you been doing? Anything special for preparations for the premiere on uh, October twenty-six? Anything special outside of press?
0: Um, not sure. I mean, to be honest with you, we've, we've been so heavily involved with the you know shooting series that uh, we, we've kind of forgotten We've <laughs> almost forgotten about it. So, I'm sure maybe in the next couple of weeks there'll be talks of uh, parties or, or premieres. Uh, right now, we're just you know knee deep and getting the feeling shot.
1: Oh, I can imagine, and I've, we've heard some of the press interviews that you've done already for the show. And you said in a few of the interviews that you actually read comic books when you were younger. So, what were some of your favorites? And did you do any more reading to kind of prepare for the role before you just shot before you shot the pilot? Yeah,
0: I mean, I mean, back in the day, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I haven't really you know put my my head into you know, the, the different universes, the Marvel universe and DC universe for a while. And this has uh, been a, a real re-education for me. But I guess, you know, uh, as, a, as a kid, I was just a huge, incredible Hulk fan, a fantastic Hulk fan. Uh, so I, I just read a lot of Marvel. And then um, in my teens and late teens, early 20s, I rediscovered uh, DC with um just Dread and uh, Bad Company, uh, fantastic series uh, uh, a, a called Bad Company, which, is, um, which was in the, in the 2000 AD comics, which was just probably the first time I actually saw world diversity in comics. I mean, it was just about, about this renegade group of soldiers battling uh, you know, alien life on this planet, and it was just so well drawn, and again, to see black. Uh, characters, you know, you, you know, on the cover of wow. these comics was real really inspiration to me, and uh, that kind of brought me back into the comics. And then I put them down when I went to go school, and, and it picked up some Shakespeare, uh, picked up a lot of the plays and stuff. So I, I haven't, but then when I got the, the role, obviously I started reading about Hank, and uh, you know, looking at the uh, uh, the mythology uh behind Hank Henshaw and it's, it's been really it's been really exciting and uh, you know to kind of put your head back into that and just to see that you know a, a lot of these comic books are you know real kind of archetype stories you know goodness and evil and uh you know the battle to save humanity the battle of the battle to save planet earth and those people who aligned themselves with good and those people who uh, align themselves with bad so it's, it's been um it's been exciting getting back into it and seeing where each character into the kind of uh, spectrum.
2: So, David, if you could team up with one supervillain, who would it be and why?
0: Wow. If I could team up with a supervillain, um, wow. Okay, it would probably be from, in my in my loose-fit memory, uh Galacticus, I think. He, he really? Was, wow. wow. Good choice. He was just he was just awesome, you know, he just kind of could just go anywhere, do anything, and I, I don't think anybody would ever beat him, I think he just kind of got tired and moved off somewhere else, so I'd probably just sit on his shoulder and, you know, go to the galaxies and, and do you know do, and do my wicked thing, really.
1: Now, David, fans know the name Hank Henshaw, but he's actually going to have a different origin coming up in Supergirl, so were you excited for the opportunity to kind of make this character your own?
0: Dude, you are going to be blown away when you see <laughs> what 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 we are doing with Hank Henshaw, it's been a real joy to, to kind of create him. And I know people, you know, uh, you know, as, you know, basically saying things, saying, oh, we can't play Hank Henshaw, he's black, or he can't do this, he's this. You know, what, what I love about comic books is that, you know, they're interpretive. And, you know, to make them, you know, we've seen three or four different Incredible Hulks and I think Mark Rothman is fantastic as Incredible Hulk and, and what they've done with that CGI has just been brilliant. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I would I would think that you know I'm really happy to be playing Hank. This this particular Hank, uh, he's a real he's a handful. Boy, right? he's been a lot of fun to play um, in all these different stages. That's all. You know, not, not to give too much away, but uh, there's a really big reveal that happens um, part way through the series, and I think people are going to be genuinely blown away. So I'll reserve. My answer to that question is wow. seven, and then maybe maybe we could do this again because really the mythology behind this guy, the mythology behind you know you know the characters that I'm playing is is is, is fantastic, and uh, I think um, a, a comic book fans, DC comic book fans are just going to skip and receive.
2: That's a tease, man. That's a huge
1: <laughs> tease. <It's> a real <laughs>
0: tease. I like teasing. That's the kind of guy I am.
2: Exactly. Again, we're talking to David Harewood, of course, of CBS's Supergirl. He plays Hank Henshaw on the show. Of course, Supergirl premieres on CBS on October 26th at 8.30 p.m. So, David, now, you sound very excited on this interview, of course, in this interview so far. And, and what's great about it is that Supergirl, again, the, the press is just amazing for this. So what was your first day of being on set like? Um, on the pilot? i am going to be honest with
0: you. On the pilot, it was a little difficult because... Um, you know, it's pretty. It's pretty expositional. What I had to do. You know, this is the DEO and we do this, and you are here, and we do. It. So it was a little bit frustrating to me uh, uh, the first couple of days because, and even watching, I'd say watching the pilot was a little bit frustrating because, you know, you don't really get to see uh, the different levels of think. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a little odd. I kind of I kept coming in and saying, okay, X, Y, Z, and then I do. You know, I literally I, I think I had about three days filming and uh, it was all pretty intense and um, um, you know uh, just when when you're doing that kind of exposition stuff it it can be quite tough to do because Mm -hmm. you're trying to put some kind of original spin on it but it's so difficult to kind of put a spin on you live here I do this you know it, 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 it was a little tough but the shooting the show has been fantastic I mean really really exciting and I think you'll see right from episode two, uh, the week following the the uh, part, the week following the premiere, you'll see right at the end of that show a, 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 a clue or a hint, which is kind of really get you thinking about just what the hell is going on with this guy. So, um, again, it's difficult for me to talk about this because uh, I don't want to give too much away, but mm-hmm. of course, yeah. I think you for a bit of a treat
2: okay and so when you were on set you're of course with melissa benoist who of course is playing supergirl on the show what are some things you as a fellow actor took away from her performance while you were working with her and uh what can people expect to see from her when the show premieres on october 26th
0: it's very very much uh, supergirl for 2015 and, and you know i think we're all vaguely familiar with the uh the, the movie version which uh you know had a had a, had a middling reception but this is very much a super Girl for 2015 and, and Melissa really really embodies that she's very modern extraordinarily charming and and beautiful and really wears that suit well I mean it's extraordinary I mean I, you know first first day of shooting and when she walks
2: out of a, you know
0: out of an out of makeup into in that gear you, you do double fake you think she's just a super girl you know walking around and she, she she really wears it well and she carries it well and you know she's just utterly charming, and Supergirl is undeniably uh, She You know, you, you you just kind of... You know, despite the fact that Hank is trying to put her back in a box, and you know, he, he's frustrated at, at her arrival, he, he can't... I have to force myself from smiling, and I think the moment yeah. kept coming back. Don't smile. You know, you, you're being charmed by her. Don't be charmed by her. <laughs> so really, really, really kind of and keep Hank as this kind of gruff, um, not miserable, but just gruff, unhappy dude who's not impressed with her. Meanwhile, David Harewood was just giggling like a little child because, you know, this is, you know, to be in something so talked about and something so, that I think is going to be so popular, it's really, really exciting. And, um, it's, it's all I can do from grinning. Um, the first couple of days, it's all I can do from grinning on set every two minutes. It's just...
1: What's great, David, is that you're clearly a fan of of the series and, of course, the the source material. So, when you were out there on set, not necessarily on the pilot, but e- even going forward and shooting, did you have a what was your first wow moment on the set?
0: Uh, well, I think aside from seeing Melissa in her costume. Um, I think just the size of the what, what we're doing. I mean, I think the first day on set we were filming. Um, you know, we're testing. We're Super abilities and uh, uh, just just the equipment that was around. You know, we had exploding exploding uh, um, uh, whiteboards, uh, uh, glass boards that were going off. We had these huge rocket launchers that were parked that were fire and, and, and uh, uh, supposedly firing rockets at Supergirl. Uh, uh, you know, we, um, they, they were kind of had these detonators inside them so that when they when really we shot the buckets going off you know, these huge rockets just blasted off. And it was just so exciting to be on a set where, you know, it's not I mean, this I mean, homeland was great fun, but you know, there wasn't, it, it wasn't exactly exciting to kind of you know, to look around the set and see all this equipment that was there. It was just, there's lots of army stuff, lots of kind of high tech army stuff, lots of high tech, um, gadgets. Uh, and it's just, you know, to be the guy who, who runs the DEO is, uh, it's just enormous fun. Uh, as you say, I, I'm a huge uh, comic book fan. I, you know, I've watched just about every comic book movie that's gone out there. So uh, to be in one, it's, it, honestly, it's, just, it's all I can do to stop grinning every two minutes. It's just fantastic.
1: And as a fan, I'm sure you know how passionate comic book fans are about these characters that they just love so much. For For those who haven't seen the show yet and for those who are looking forward to it, and maybe even maybe there's a few people on the fence, which is crazy to me, but... What do you? What would you tell them about what they can expect from Supergirl on October the twenty sixth at eight thirty on CBS?
0: Well, you know, I think what has been very, what Greg has been very successful at uh, doing is making all these superheroes and producers uh, very accessible. So they're all they're all very much rooted in their human identity as well as their this superhero thing. In that, in that they all struggle with things, maybe insecurities and weaknesses. Which makes them very, very uh, uh, accessible, and you know, Supergirl, Norman, well, Melissa's character Kara has been for 24 years, you know, been kind of, you know, holding it down as as a, as a, as an ordinary person, and uh, she kind of so. What we try and do, although she she has she discovers her, her superpower, it very much works as a kind of workplace drama, comedy, a, relation, a show about relationships. which is a show, about... there's a lot of comedy in the show. It's, it's extremely well written. I mean, as I say, I, I've, I've, you know, wherever we are, wherever I am, and I, you know, if I get that ping of an email and it says, oh, Supergirl, episode nine comes through, wherever I am, I'll, you know, I'll, if I'm in a store, or I'll leave before immediately sit down and read it. You know, I, I, I've read three or four episodes on my phone, just sitting on the street corner, because you just want to know what's happening. You just want to know what, you know, what, what, what occurs. And I think fans are going to be, Incredibly gripped by this because it's, it's you know, the creators are incredibly bright. Uh, Andrew uh, who who's uh, one of our producers, he's a massive, massive comic book. Yes, fan.
1: yes. So he
0: he, he he knows all the mythology and you know, he's working hard to, to pump as much of that mythology into each episode as he can. Uh, so I think it's going to work on so many different levels, and uh, particularly, I have to say, for. For girls, I think it's going to be, you know, I, I should apply it to my, my daughters, and they just have not stopped talking about it. It's just been extraordinary in that, you know, they, I think it's going to be hugely beneficial to a lot of girls. And, and I, obviously, I hope, you um, know, boys and men come to it. You know, it, it's, really, it's really funny. I I, think, you know, I think there's a certain, I think there's a certain uh, section of, 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 of men who, you know, wanted the bimbo, wanted you know the supergirl, the power girl type. We've you know, seen the
1: chatter, yeah, yeah. You know, yep.
0: you know they, they, they all want that, and and it's really, it's it's kind of it's kind it, of it, it, that, that kind of amazes me because I think Melissa's beautiful, and I think what she brings to it is a real charm, a real sweetness, uh, which I think is so spot on, uh, and I, and hopefully we'll win, we'll win over those guys who want who want the kind of uh, you know the kind of sexy supergirl uh, thing, which. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that's up to them if that's what they want. But I uh, I think, you know, what we have is a really wholesome show. I think it's great it's gonna be great for family viewing. I think it's gonna be appointment family viewing, which I mean how many shows can you say that about, you know? Exactly, exactly. Kids, kids say, Mom, dad, let's sit down and you know, let's all sit on the photo and watch Supergirl. Because it's, there's something in it for everybody. There's going to be something in it for dad. There's going to be something in it for mom. There's going to be something in it for little Joey and little, little Ginger or whatever it is. You know, I think there's going to be something in it for everybody. It's a real family show. And, um, and there's a lot of there's danger, too. You know? there's, 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 some, there's some really real, real threats. And um, it's extraordinarily entertaining. That's all I can say. It's going to be extraordinarily entertaining.
2: Exactly. A little ginger, a little Joey, an entire family can get on the sofa (laughs) and watch Supergirl when it premieres on October 26th at 8.30 p.m. on CBS. And remember, episode two will air at the show's regular time at 8 p.m. on November 2nd. So, David, before we let you go, where can people
0: find you on social media? You can find me at David Harewood on Twitter and the same handle, at David Harewood on Instagram. And I'm always tweeting about the show and, you know... We noticed. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I, I some stuff on Friday night that was probably some of the best, most enjoyable stuff I have done in years. Wow. And uh, I, I, I really think that, I mean, I, I, honestly, truly really get back to me when episode seven finishes, because you are going to, your mind is <laughs> blown. I think your mind is going to be blown. Um, this, this is a really exciting development, so uh, that's all I can say. I'm more we,
1: excited than I was before now. Yeah, exactly. I didn't think that was possible.
0: <laughs> 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 well, it's Dave... great. It's really, it's, it's really great, and it's great that you, you know you guys are so excited about it. Uh, you know, keep telling your fans the times about it. And, uh, yeah, uh, get back to me. after episode 7.
2: Definitely. We'll hit you back up, David, to get you back on the show again. He's David Hayward. He plays Hank Henshaw on CBS's Supergirl, which again premieres on October 26th at 8.30 p.m. on CBS. And episode two will air, and it's, the show's regular time at 8 p.m. on November 2nd. David Hayward, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us.
0: Thanks, guys. Take care.
1: I got to tell you, Nick, enthusiasm is so infectious <laughs> when it comes to stuff like this. And if you're not excited for Supergirl on October the 26th at 8.30 on CBS. That's a Monday, by the way. After hearing him talk about that, David Harewood talk about it, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, I just don't. Uh, uh, David,
2: I mean, I I think we've done a lot of interviews, and I think David probably had the most highest form of just excitement. Yeah. Just uh, And again, as you said, it, it just connects with you, and it's infectious, and it's just... I mean, you said it. You took the words out of my mouth, and you said it. You know, I was so much pumped. Look, I'm. So, I was so pumped for this show to come out. Now I'm even more amped for it to come out. You know, because it's like, especially because you know, you have actors like David on yeah. the show who are just so passionate and so excited about a project, and you know, it, it's it's just it's really really awesome. And again, I remember too, this is the one. Thing about this show, it's different from a lot of other shows. Is it's different in tone.
1: Oh, very much. It's it's going to be a very much lighter tone for those who haven't exactly. seen it. And I gotta I gotta tell you, man, he went into the deep cuts with his comics. Oh yeah, yeah dude. I was not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> dread. He went all you
2: know, Marvel everywhere, man. I mean, it's just, just the so bad us- the bad company thing. I was like, the wow. Bad and then the whole, I would team up with Galactus. And I was like, whoa! That's
1: <laughs> just crazy. That's... And of course, hey, this is no spoiler alert if you know the name Hank Henshaw. Oh, yeah. We're talking Cyborg, Cyborg Superman, Superman here. So think about that team up for a second.
2: I remember, he did say... He did say... Now, he didn't say it, but he did kind of hint and say, hey, episode seven. Yeah. You no. Know, yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe we will see him as Cyborg Superman. Around that time, of course, we will have him back on the show, too, because, I mean, it's just one of those things, man, where that just type of enthusiasm is just infectious, and it's great, and again, it's just... A phenomenal job by by David, and I can't wait to see his portrayal of Hank Henshaw in Supergirl when it comes out and when it premieres on October 26.
1: And seriously, make this appointment viewing. You're going to want to sit down. You're going to want to watch this live because there's just going to be so many great performances in there. And I think, exactly. and, and I said this a while ago on the show, or I think this is going to be Melissa Benoist. She's going to be a household name. Oh, it's going to be
2: because of this show. Well, you even said that. This show could launch, and I agree with you. This show could launch her into that that this decade's version of the what Amy Jo Johnson was for the, the Pink Power Ranger. She's gonna be yeah. that type of 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 with you know teenage and, and young men, she's gonna be that that type of audience. You know I'm saying? She's gonna have that that thing and it's gonna be awesome. You know, she's gonna be in this version's this this decades. Amy Joe Johnson in terms of just the right. she's playing and the notoriety and everything else. And it's gonna be really, really awesome.
1: And she's gonna be that one that the little girls want to be. She's oh, gonna be exactly. the one that they want to look up to. And I, I like the way he said, you know, it's this is not the bimbo version, it's tastefully done. And it's just it's 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 done the way it's supposed to be. And I would agree with that from the costume like, all the way well, down.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, her portrayal of of you know of her alter ego, Danvers, I mean, you know. It's just one of those, I look at that, and I'm like, that's a girl I can see myself dating. Like yeah, that, exactly. You know, quirky, kind of like, you know, stuff like that. Like, like it's just awesome, you know what I'm saying? Like, the whole show around, the cast, everything, it looks fantastic. And again, it's going to premiere on October 26th. Remember, the second episode is going to go back to its regular time. Uh, which is 8 o'clock on Monday nights on CBS. That's going to be November 2nd when it goes back to its regular time. But that's going to do it for this week's version of the Down Nerdy Podcast. We want to thank our guest, David Harewood, for coming on today and talking about Supergirl. And You can catch us on social media as well, just like David. You can go on Facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. You can also go on Twitter, that site with a little bird, at Donnery757. I'm at Merk with one arm, Mr. Witham.
1: I'm at James Ace Witham, as a matter of fact. And you can also find us online, nerdypodcast.com We've got a whole bunch of ways for you to reach the show. You want to find out what's going to be on this week's show from week to week? We've got a this week section. You click right there. The new show will play automatically. You can scroll down, find out what's going to be on the show, even ways that you can go to our Amazon store and buy stuff from our interview guests and buy the comics that we're reviewing, things like that. And you can catch up with us on iTunes. Find out how to find our itunes feed everything at down and nerdy podcast.com
2: exactly go down there you also can get a free one month subscription trial to amazon prime as well so you go on there you help out the show and hey you get a nice little way of viewing your shows a new cool way with amazon prime
1: supergirl right there supergirl is just right there man you just every you watch the new episodes live and then the amazon instant video store just get them and you own it And How would you not do that?
2: And again, you've been telling us, you know, we want you guys to review some more things. What are some more things you guys are reading. Well, we've done that, actually. If you go on our website, as James mentioned, downarypodcast.com, we have a reviews tab you can click on. And James and I do two other comics that we don't mention on the show. We do it just on the website in the written reviews that we do each week. So technically, we're doing four reviews each week, two on the show and two completely different reviews on the website. And those go up on Wednesdays and then they go through our Facebook page at 6 and 7 p.m. But, hey, they go up on Wednesday. So at any time on that Wednesday, you want to go and see what else we before we do two different reviews on the show on Fridays? There you go. They're
1: spoiler-free, too, by the way, so you don't have to worry about any spoilers or anything like that. Sometimes it's comics that aren't even out yet. You exactly. can actually add to your poll. And we want to thank Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach, of course, for helping sponsor the show and everything. And, man, I'm still jacked. I don't even know where to go from here. I mean, I need to go settle down. I need to go, like, do a few laps, maybe some push-ups or something, because I'm just I'm going to get a Mountain Dew. Screw it. I'm going for the Mountain Dew. I'm just going to go right through the friggin' stratosphere. I'm going to end up at Krypton if I keep this up. Then your
2: child's gonna wake up and just be like, Oh, reality, you're a cool, cool person. (laughs) But uh, no, that's the thing though. But then you, but again, thanks to David Harewood, thanks to CBS for just helping us out and hooking us everything up. But that's gonna do it for this week's show. And as always, I leave you with this, nerds. Always practice safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics because God knows I have a whole bookcase full that I gotta do, and it's gonna take probably about a week to do it. We'll see you next week, everybody.